All right, everyone, welcome back. This is Ryan Selkis, and you're listening to Masari's Unqualified Opinions, where each week I interview crypto's top builders, investors, and personalities to discuss the key trends in the industry. You can discover more about Masari at masari.io. But for now, let's get right into the episode. It's going to be a good one. This episode is brought to you by Nexo, the only lender offering instant crypto credit lines, which let you use digital assets as collateral to get cash in 45 different fiat currencies and stable coins. You can also park idle assets with Nexo and earn up to 8% annually. It's a company that's a strategic partner of exchanges, OTC desks, and crypto funds, all of which borrow, lend, and grow their assets using Nexo. Explore Nexo.io or reach them at institutions at Nexo.io to learn more. Save money this tax season with LucaTax, the only tested crypto tax software. Luca's listened to your feedback. Now you can calculate capital gains and see the results using three different accounting methods side by side, all for free. You only pay if you want to access their detailed tax reports. Luca supports unlimited transaction uploads from all major exchanges and wallets and helps optimize your tax reporting so you can max out this year's refund. LucaTax wants to help Masari's Unqualified Opinions listeners save even more this year. So use promo code MasariTax and you'll get $5 off the normal price at $39.95 when downloading today. Go to L-U-K-K-A-T-A-X.com and save money this tax season. Have you seen what the Crypto.com team's been up to lately? Talking about the MCO Visa card. It's a beautiful metal card you can top up with crypto and spend anywhere Visa's accepted. You get up to 5% back on all your spending, plus 100% rebates on Spotify, Netflix, and now Amazon Prime Travel. How about unlimited airport lounge access and interbank exchange rates? So many perks in just one card. You can download the Crypto.com app and reserve yours today. This podcast is presented by BlockWorks Group, one of the top blockchain events and media production companies I've worked with for exclusive content and events that could help you with insight into the crypto and blockchain space. Check them out at blockworksgroup.io and you will not be disappointed. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Masari's Unqualified Opinions. I'm Ryan Selkis at 2BitIdiot. I have a very special guest today. She is the CEO of Binance US. Most of you probably know her as an award-winning dancer. Uh, she also spent some time at Ripple. We're going to come uh, up with a ton of questions that cover Catherine's illustrious career in crypto, outside of crypto. Uh, very excited to have this conversation. But, but Catherine, for starters, tell us what happened with that dance. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a bit of a backstory, but then there's not much. It all happened around a lot of uh, fate. So, I had a 14-year career in dance when I was little, and I was rejected from the Orlando Magic Junior Dancers when I was nine. And I've, I've held on to that grudge. Um, <laughs> so when, uh, when I realized that the NBA weekend was going to be in Chicago, one of the hotbeds for crypto, and uh, I have a strong belief that you know basketball, dance, and Bitcoin can bring the world together, Mm -hmm. um, I said, let's go, let's, let's engage the crowds. Let's get people excited about Binance US. Um, and so we just, we just went and got, you know, two tickets randomly uh, to the celebrity game. Mm -hmm. We're like, okay, we're going to try this out. If it doesn't work, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll say I had fun and we'll not write it off as marketing. Uh, and, uh, and so sure enough, right before the game starts, some guy with a headset comes up and he goes, Ma'am, we've been seeing you dance to all the songs in your seats. Would you like to participate in a halftime dance-off? And so this was the, you didn't have an inside track. This was oh a God, meritocracy. No. Oh this God, was no. an, this, this was, was an actual this was okay. stub hub mm -hmm. to the hardwood. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so he, he, I, you know, immediately was like, "Yes, absolutely. Please let me pass this form over to my lawyer." Um, and uh, then, <laughs> then I'm walking, and it's a 12-year-old boy that I was competing against. And I mean, I knew my. I knew what the, the audience wanted and they wanted a 12 year old boy and not a, um, a budding, uh, you know, CEO of, of crypto to win this competition. But I, I left everything out there on that court and I am not, I'm not disappointed in my performance. So uh, I got to bust a dust off some pirouettes and, and some items that I, I, I held on to for about 20 years, but it was- Wait, uh, so, th so you're telling me that was the losing dance? That was the losing dance. Oh my goodness. But it's because I didn't floss. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I got to know my audience next time and, and having original choreography is just not enough for them. So it was, uh, he repeated a TikTok dance that was pretty well known and the crowd went crazy. So I, uh, I lost to him and then a guy named Dancing Dan. So I feel like, yeah. uh, if anything, it was a, a step in closure for myself 
Um, but I also think that this isn't going to be the last time you'll see me at half court. Well, if you can't already tell why everybody loves Catherine, uh, hopefully that, that brief lead gives you a sense. Uh, Catherine, um, let, let's, I you always like to start. Coley. Coley, let's do yeah. it. Um, I know most people do, but I'm not sure the rules here. All right. So Coley, so, uh, I like to start aside from dance stories with every individual trip down the rabbit hole with our guests because they're all very different. And I know it's a little bit of a cliched way to start, but I, I do think it's important to give people context for how you got to this point, right? And, and in particular, how you went from not being in crypto to being in crypto, which is the much larger leap. And obviously, I believe your start was with Ripple. But can you just talk about that path and, and what you did previously and, and how we got here today? Sure. I'm super excited to share this with uh, your listeners. They've been such a devout part of shaping the crypto ecosystem. So it's exciting to share this with them. But I I began really as an an experiential learner. Um, And in order for me to understand things, I have to do them. Uh, There are auditory learners, there are visual learners, and then there are kinetic. And I happen to be the last one. So Mm -hmm. I really, in order to understand how this world works, had to throw myself into situations to understand them. And one of the things I couldn't grasp was how the world worked. (laughs) And um, I'd taken courses, et cetera, and and always had something in the back of my head that I learned. And it was, you know, follow the money and history will teach you. And so the best way to follow the money was to put yourself really in the middle of the largest flows in the world, which was the foreign exchange markets and going onto a trading floor and really witnessing what that was. I read a book called Liar's Poker and it changed my life. So mm-hmm. I, I said, maybe that's, that's the best way for me to understand how this world works is seeing really what, what people are identifying as news and what they're trading on and, and what swings we're seeing in reaction and how they affect mm-hmm. everybody else. So I got my start on the Hong Kong trading floor at Morgan Stanley covering the onshore Asian uh, currencies, understanding that after the Asian financial crisis, these countries had restrictions and limitations put on them to safeguard against potential attacks from others. So it was a very unique situation where my counterparts in New York barely knew the difference between Malaysia's system and Thailand's system. And yet I was super aware of those those niche differences, the opens and closes to sync with their equities markets, the the ability of having like an omnibus account versus having to Mm -hmm. do individual trades. There's another world out there that is really telling to why these economies are developing in a certain way. So I found it super fascinating and just enjoyed that pace and the understanding. We had a real pulse on how the world worked, but the world was changing. So I, uh, dun, during, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. during my time, I, I witnessed that one of the jobs that I had was extremely manual. I had to move between a Bloomberg terminal to a Reuters terminal. And mm-hmm. so no matter the automation that I provided, I couldn't skip that step. And, uh, you know, you just kind of sat there frustrated going like, so this is job security. They need me. I'm, you know, I'm the, I'm the rotation of my, uh, my body over here to type. Uh, is there something I can create mechanical that could do this for them? But um, you just noticed that there were some frictions along the system that really held things back from going to the, be fully electronic. Funny we use the word electronic describing things as fast moving back then, where now it's all mm-hmm. digital. So electronic trading was taking off. The ability to put algos in the hands of your customers rather than facilitate a TWAP or you know, time-weighted average, um, going through that on their own was something that was empowering. Your user or your customer really enjoyed being able to monitor and watch their activity and understood that they were getting the best price. They weren't having a middleman you know, take things off based on how, um, how they felt, really. Uh, and that, that was something that we were seeing as a scaring factor on the sell side, but an empowering factor when you thought about the market as a whole. So I really pushed forward and, and dug into how electronic trading and, and the FX platforms were going to be helping. But I was oftentimes told, like, slow down. This is ruining our, you know, enjoyable jobs as voice brokers <laughs> uh, to some extent. So... Uh, when I witnessed all, all of uh, that evolution, I kept in the back of my head saying, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a faster way. I don't want any little girl to wake up and say, today I'm going to type on a Bloomberg terminal and rotate and type on a Reuters terminal. And that's going to be why I went to school and why I continue to wake up every day. So uh, the ability to, to automate that or, or make it move in a way that everyone could access it was really exciting to me. So... That's truthfully, I, I kind of think of it as I've been training for the Olympics. 
Uh, those were the those were the early days that got me to say I'm fired up about increasing the rate to which we can offer institutional quality services down to the individual and streamline the whole process in itself. It, it boggles my mind that 3,000 people, which is still small, that's the amount of sell side employees there are in foreign exchange. Uh, 3,000 people were dedicated to moving other people's money from one place to another. And you know, ultimately that should come down further and further because moving money from, you know, point A to point B in Forex is, it's, uh, I don't know that the number of people actually changes. It's just the, the medium uh, and the, the forum through which these assets are, are, are changing hands is going to be different and it will continue to get different. Well, time. it can also change the, so there's, say there's like one person that is facilitating that trade for a hedge fund. Mm -hmm. Then there's 16 people dedicated to that one trade. So you've got compliance, you've got your back office, you've mm -hmm. got your settlement team, you've got, and if you can streamline those roles and provide alternatives for people, we could have far more fulfilling and motivating uh, experiences in life or, or careers. And so I think there's a lot of those bottlenecks that are cost centers uh, mm -hmm. that could be eliminated and really give people a, a sense of empowerment. You know, it, it's funny. 2015, there was this era of blockchain, not Bitcoin, right after the mm -hmm. crash. And the pitch was basically about eliminating cost centers, right? That was the big thing that all the enterprise players got excited about. And then lo and behold, another entire market cycle passes in crypto. And I think the reason that the public chains are so much faster, aside from just the you know, incumbents move slower by default, is that 2017 was all about, I can make a lot more money with crypto, right? Whether it's speculative you know, trading, whether it's market making, whether it's um, you know, creating an ICO and selling it and, and liquidating it. That is a much more compelling reason to adopt a new technology, particularly in finance, than just we're going to eliminate a cost center, right? It's like the vitamin right. versus painkiller. Right. Um, how do you get people addicted to, to like the, the ICO drugs? Um, and there's a lot of bad things about that addiction, but you're starting to see some of the fruit born in kind of the next market cycle. Where did you come in full time to... Crypto. So, so I guess what were the exposure points that before you made the switch and then what finally made you uh, take the leap and, and join Ripple? Yeah. In, in Hong Kong in 2013, Bitcoin was kind of something you bought on your PA just to watch as almost like a, a plant. Um, mm -hmm. And you're kind of like, it's going to either grow or it's going to die. None of us really have too much skin in this game to worry about it. <laughs> um, and uh, the other aspect of it was you were seeing and beginning to see a lot of activity taking place from these sell-side analysts in Hong Kong, one of them being mm -hmm. Arthur Hayes, who was a good buddy back when he was at Deutsche, um, and other people were taking notice. So it was, it was triggering the minds of these trader types who were beginning to see there's real value in what you mentioned, the ARB, the speculation, uh, the ability to, to get behind this budding marketplace and apply what we already knew from a, from a larger market perspective. So I kind of had a cheat sheet in seeing the, the 12th chapter of the book before the, the forward was written. Uh, and so I kind of knew how the book would end and it would only be a matter of, you know, did everyone that knew that story conclusion want to speed up the story or did they want to milk it for a little while because a few of us weren't around in the 80s when markets were roaring. So I, I took that as an interesting thing, but I really jumped in in the summer of 2017 I was at Silicon Valley Bank uh, catering a lot of these fintechs that were beginning to use Bitcoin as a means of moving money between uh, places like Veeam and um, you know, Wire. Those were some of the budding names that I was hearing about. And I was like, I want to be on the upside of that. I don't, I don't want to be sitting here just asking them if they're hedging their FX uh, when I could be helping them move this forward. So that's where I, I saw, you know, I had a LinkedIn alert for Ripple and uh, popped up and asked exactly what I had in terms of my experience. And mm -hmm. oftentimes you see something and you go, that's not really aligned, but I'm the one that knows that. So I'm going to go for it. So it was the uh, opening roles for a head of investor relations. And they asked for, you know, five to seven years of FX experience. And I said, that's a perfect, that's a perfect, perfect spot. But, uh, let me see what I can work with them. So moved and, into and, their, and, their markets team. Yeah. Yeah. And in particular, so when you say markets team, I mean, this was the XRP, you know, institutional liquidity, Angle. So this is X Rapid, and this is the, the the digital asset, not just the the um, X current. 
Yeah, uh, I, I in fact, I never, mm -hmm. I never talked to the bank clients that were on RippleNet. I was purely dedicated to yep. XRP and the markets that it was going to be involved in, working with uh, exchanges, market makers, mm -hmm. uh, institutional buyers, really understanding how we could make this uh, a liquid enough uh, digital asset so that other things could take place, such as corporate flows. Coley, as you know, no one from Ripple will talk to me. Um, and <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not going to comment one way or the other. I understand why that's the case. What, what do people not understand about Ripple and its role with XRP and why it's so functionally important to the underlying system that, that maybe they should? Um, or, or I guess what, what would be the bull case for XRP, the, um, the case for Ripple as, as an entity in terms of its go-to-market strategy that isn't well told, or at least every single time it gets told, it just gets shot down from every single skeptic within, within crypto, fairly or unfairly. I, I guess, you know, I'd, right. I'd love to hear your take on, on uh, you know, what misconceptions there might be without getting you into trouble. Yeah, no, there's a, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm on, I'm on Binance US, so I, I can't get too in trouble, I don't think. But um, the, the under misunderstanding, a lot of it comes from uh, when you're starting something out, there's kind of three things that you can have, but you can't have all three. And so we saw Bitcoin start out with this. And the, and the dilemma is you can be convenient, you can be secure, or you can be, you know, scalable. And so the, or, or you know, scalable, secure, and uh, accessible. And so that's really where we saw Ripple diverge when XRP was coming about, where the idea was if they can um, start it off, it's going to be a little bit different, but it's going to be able to move faster, be cheaper, have a different mechanism to which it can approve um, transactions. And that is going to be better off for the use case that it was intended. Uh, and when I looked at Bitcoin as an FX person, Bitcoin wasn't the answer to my dreams. It was clunky, it was slow, it was expensive. I kind of looked at it and was like, you're never going to get a better rate for dollar mex through Bitcoin at that, at that situation. Um, but I did see it working in other, in, in other use cases. But for, for XRP's pure use case of being a medium of exchange that can quote unquote, zip uh, value over uh, faster, that is really where it had, a, it had a bad rap because it was different from Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. But it was yeah. it was birthed from original, you know, Bitcoiners. Like uh, you think about taking something and trying to uh, modify it, and mm -hmm. it's amazing the reaction was so negative rather than like, oh great, an upgrade. Um, and so I think that's just you know that that compounded over the years of getting a terrible uh, reputation for it. But really, like, would we get that upset if you know Lyft came to town and Uber was the first one out? Um, mm -hmm. you know, why, why, and what happened. And, uh, you know, I wasn't there in the, in the beginning days of, of what made it not land as an upgrade. Um, but I, I was there for two years to try to clean up the image and, and make it, make it worthwhile in terms of, from a market's perspective, usable. Now, you know, usability, uh, is kind of loaded with, with respect to, um, to, XRP and XRapid in particular. And, and I just, I want to put a finite bookend to this so we're not spending the whole conversation on, on Ripple. But Please, it, I, we got more exciting. Um, <laughs> exactly. But, but I, I do want to have one, ask one clarifying question, which is that um, right now people think about uh, XRapid versus XCurrent and there's no, it's unclear if there's marginal cost savings, right? Or like how much of it do you need like the actual units? Um, of XRP versus how much of it is just kind of like cramming, you know, faux growing this, this digital asset that's not necessary uh, to generate a lot of the same savings that, uh, quite frankly, the institutional protocol is capable of delivering. And that's been borne out by all the, the customers that, that Ripple's been able to, to win. Is that still a misconception as well? You know, they've, they've changed some of their things since I've left. So I think XRapid's now called like ODL or on-demand liquidity. And the other uh, suite of products is now rolled into RippleNet. Um, so I, I need to do a little bit more homework to understand how those things have pivoted. But uh, the, the idea of being able to send funds faster through traditional rails was definitely something Ripple was working on, uh, creating a faster messaging platform um, so that you were able to send real data across to have more information uh, and, and have that kind of send uh, in an immediate way uh, that would be super useful as is in the current market. 
the benefit of using XRP for transactions across borders was that you would you'd be able to have liquid pools around the world that would naturally have that funding amount in them so that you wouldn't have to pre-fund your account in Mexico. So mm -hmm. you'd be able to basically zip something over to a Mexican exchange and it would have the natural liquidity of digital assets there so that you wouldn't have to fund your pesos in advance. That is a huge amount of what businesses uh, have as a penalty. In order to have a foreign entity, oftentimes you have to have a foreign bank account with, through a correspondent banking network, and then that takes six months. Sometimes in some countries you have to have a person on the ground. You can't just have a phone-in bank account. Uh, and then you've got to fund it. So that's capital that's tied up. And especially as small startups are beginning, that's a lot of allocated resources to places that aren't helping you drive your business or increase your revenue. So I think that's where the benefit can come from, is not being able to tie tie up those resources around the world. Are we at the stage where it's going to be instantaneous and, and startups can immediately create an account on an exchange and zip over XRP to their Mexican counterpart? No, mm -hmm. and I think we're working on that or they're working on that. Um, I'm working on it to some extent because I'm building out the infrastructure that's required to allow for an on-ramp for users to access any digital asset. So well, that, that, that was why I did want to drill down a little bit um, on XRP because Binance is handling hundreds now. What, what, what is the total supported asset count? So oh, on, on Binance.com, way mm -hmm. more. On Binance US, 30 plus. Yeah, and, and uh, you're, you're still playing catch up and, and, and some of that's for regulatory reasons. But, um, but the, the global platform, you know, you're, you're dealing with hundreds or, or at least 100 plus different assets. Um, what, how do you think about liquidity between all the different stable coins that are available? and something like XRP or Bitcoin or, or the other um, non-stable crypto assets that for a very long time until Tether were, were the rails, right? Like that, yeah. you know, you settled using Bitcoin, you settled, you know, in some cases using XRP, but, but basically until Tether uh, took, took over in, in 20, you know, 15, um, 2016, 2017, um, when the, ICO bubble really started to percolate, like, you know, Poloniex and Bittrex, like that was really when, when Tether took off. And now, of course, you have other, you know, uh, more legitimate options, if you, if you want to think about it that way. Regulated, but, yeah. But regulated, you know, you've got this crazy spectrum of stable coins, and we'll talk a little bit about Virgo, Virgo right? Uh, no, but I like that. Uh, Venus? <laughs> Venus, Venus, yes. We're not, um, we're not on the, we're not on the, um, <laughs> uh, horoscopes train. <laughs> well, you kind of are because Venus is like the, the governing body of, of Libra or whatever. Well, we'll do with um, constellations, but we're not on uh, right. not on horoscopes. <laughs> well, well, so so we'll talk about astrology that or astronomy, not astrology. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, so we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, but but for starters, uh, why don't we talk about the um, uh, the liquidity yeah. question, right? Like, so so what infrastructure um, are you building? not just at, at the Binance Global level, but for US in particular to, to actually facilitate some of these settlements. Is it XRP? Is it Bitcoin? Is it, you know, where's the volume going? Yeah, I think stable coins were, I, I admit they were a frustrating thing for me to see come out of what was already built and gain such adoption. Uh, and and I, I call it like the tricycle uh, training wheels uh, element of, people were too afraid of understanding a, a universal digital asset that they had to go digitize the derivative of what they were comfortable with. Um, mm -hmm. And so they went, okay, we're gonna you know, digitize the US dollar. It's gonna be backed by the dollar one-to-one. -one. It's gonna have, you know, everything's gonna be denominated in basically US dollars in terms of how you're pricing things. And it's still going to have uh, you know, the regulation inside the United States determining this. And so it really did validate the use case for XRP of people wanting some form of a digital asset to move money around the world. The downside of it was it didn't alleviate the concern that you had with having something be regulated by the United States. So mm -hmm. for the sake that anytime someone crosses an FX spread and it goes through the US dollar, which most things are all priced against the US dollar, it's mm -hmm. then you know, privy to US sanctions and um, further, further ruling that involves the United States. Most people in the United States would say, hooray, that's fantastic. But to those that are trying to get things through on a, you know, 
between Pakistan and Brazil, you're going to have to have, uh, you know, you can't trade if it's a U.S. bank bank holiday and settlements mm-hmm. are closed. And you're like, but our world doesn't involve any part of America, and we're still following their rules when we're when we're transacting. And I I, th- I thought, and I still think that there is a a better world where people are not having to be tied to uh, the U.S. dollar tethered for that reason. Um, and, and so that's where I still think Bitcoin has its benefits and XRP has its benefits, but perhaps they were just too provocative for people to connect the dots into seeing why that made sense. Um, you face this a lot with companies that are going global and they pay their foreign employees or pay their or uh, get their revenues in U.S. dollars rather than the local currency. Um, and that, that in its own is comforting to the accounting side. Um, mm-hmm. So people are excited by it. But it does bleed cash when you see volatility in those local currencies. And it does burden your end consumer in those local areas that has to find a way to convert the coins. Usually the burden on them is the FX rate that they get, which mm-hmm. is usually terrible. And it just doesn't create a, a super pure experience that I think we could get to. So with stable coins, you're offering that similar thing. You're going to be able to mm-hmm. send dollars around the world, which is super convenient. People already do it. Um, and it's going to be in a digital form which I think is helpful if that's adopted for people. Um, but it's not the, the pure case of a universe, universal currency that is going to be determined by the pure fluctuations of the market players themselves. Um, well, you, so, you know, it, it, what, what's disappointing is that we, we haven't really seen one of those pure versions, I guess for lack of a better term, of, of a stable coin get mass market adoption or, or even... Um, gain the ability to to get off the ground in some cases like we have we have tether which is dollar denominated and it's held in the shell game of of you know corporate accounts we have usdc which can get shut down i guess you know conceivably at any time right because it's mm-hmm. a fully regulated uh stable coin then you had libra which is probably the first time and that still would have been heavily regulated but it was still the first time that you had a non-us dollar denominated stable coin um after that, there's a pretty steep drop-off where the only real permissionless dollar-pegged or stable asset is, is probably DAI right now. And the liquidity on that is, is, is nowhere, right? So right. Um, I guess maybe this is a, a, a place to chat a little bit more about Venus. Yes, it might be regulated, but, but if, you're talking about, if you're talking about fiat currencies, right? Like fiat mm-hmm. didn't like pegged currencies. They're almost by definition, they're going to have to be regulated, right? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's people, you know, opting in to have a fully regulated uh, digital asset that's based on mm-hmm. the dollar. That's, you know, it's, as I call it, it's their training wheels. It's, you're not going to be on your own. You're not going to have, uh, you know, full freedom on that effect. It is going to be uh, regulated by, I mean, BUSD is regulated by the New York DFS, um, available on 43 plus exchanges, not only including the Binance ecosystems. Um, but you're going to be having that access to something that is pegged to the dollar, regulated by the United States. Um, and that's what you're asking for. So I don't think you can push it to be more than it, it really is. Um, if you want something beyond that, then that's why you have digital assets that are um, hopefully self-sovereign. Um. I, I, there, there's so many but, different, but you can, but I think that's a, it's a positive shift. Yeah. You know, pe- people are going to see that with BUSD, you can get, uh, you know, up to, uh, you know, like above the interest rate earnings that you would get by holding fiat. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a natural flight to something that can be a, a yielding benefit for you. Um, mm-hmm. and, and why is this such? Because we can, you know, digital assets can be more functional. Um, and I think that's where you're going to see hopefully the adoption take place of people recognizing that you can do more with your assets when they're digitized than you can when they're under your mattress. Amen. Um, I, I want to switch gears a, a little bit and just talk about the pace of new features at Binance as a uh, global platform and then how these things gradually translate to Binance US or any regionalized um, subsidiary or, or, or project. I don't, I'm not sure, you know, right. how, how you define these. We're an independent, products. yeah, we're an independent mm-hmm. entity, but uh, we are able to license the technology and the tech stack of, of the largest exchange Binance global. So the, the benefit of that is that although we're catering everything through kind of a, a keyhole of the United States regulation, mm-hmm. we're able to quickly build things that are already 
super, you know, a stress tested beyond what we can actually do in the United States. You think about the volumes that Binance Global sees and you question whether our matching engine can handle it. And you're looking at, you know, our, our daily volume is a fraction of the, you know, 1.8 to $3 billion of trading that goes through Binance's matching engine daily. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the benefits is that our, our technology is stress tested in, in the largest arena by some of the most sophisticated and beginner players. So, uh, so we're able uh, to, I guess we started, we launched in September, 2019 with mm -hmm. nothing. Um, and with the patience of our, our followers, we were able to launch our app in January, 2020. Um, so available on Android and iOS, we allow for the access through US dollars, three ways, ACH de uh, debit cards and wire payments with FDIC mm -hmm. insurance coverage uh, into 30 plus digital assets. Um, and we also offer USDC conversion direct to BUSD to allow for, as you said, those stablecoin folks to be able to, you know, move money quickly between exchanges. So, I, I want to ask about. this, uh, and and uh, I've been trying to think the last twenty seconds of the best way to phrase it without it coming across as insulting. But but oh please uh, try me. <laughs> but but let, let's let's try it, and and I think you'll see what I mean. When when I think of of Binance, I'll turn this I'll turn this podcast off if I'm insulted. <laughs> but you, you know, the challenge accepted. Um, you, Binance Global has such a, a massive team of contributors. It's got a massive head start. Binance US is less than a year old now, right? Mm -hmm. um, and when I think about the the two, I think about the the technical innovation happening at the Binance Global level, and then the regulatory innovation happening at any of the affiliate entities, right? Binance mm -hmm. US included. Um, I, I'm wondering if, if you agree with that or if that sells short a lot of what you do at Binance US as a team, because the right now, maybe this is just from a regulatory standpoint, um, the feature set, the assets that are supported, the services all seems to be a subset of the larger platform. So it's almost like you're fighting on these different regulatory fronts on a, a week to week, month to month basis and just trying to turn on features that already exist that you can license out. Um, tell me I'm wrong or help clarify or, or provide the nuance around what the reality is versus that naive impression of, of how Binance US in particular works. Not insulted. So good work. Um, the, the, the real uh, position that I'm in right now is I want to make sure that Americans have access to how the rest of the world is trading and the sophistication mm -hmm. that they are receiving on a global level doesn't leave behind America. So for you to say that, you know, our, our technology seems rather similar or, um, you know, I, nearly identical in terms of our API, um, the endpoints change, that's a positive. That means that you're not falling behind <clears throat> in terms of the strategy that you're able to implement on a U.S. platform versus a global platform. And so you're able to then have a, a, a kind of a cross uh, talent or skill set for people to be building on top of our APIs um, and it not be a, a drastically different or dumbed down experience. Uh, the, it, it, yeah. Is there anything that Binance US has taken the lead on in terms of driving a new feature set or, or is Absolutely. it? Okay. I mean, we've, so stream, what, we've streamlined it? KYC for our users mm -hmm. in a way that gets them through the door much faster. Um, that's one mm -hmm. of the aspects that we realized is a huge hurdle of opening in the United States. We have to go through KYC and AML for all of our um, uh, individuals and, and really understand it at a much more granular level than you'd need to at a, at a global perspective. So making sure that that doesn't slow us down and isn't a, and isn't a road blocker. The other aspects of it are the processes that we've put in place. Every single member of my team has come from a regulated entity in financial services or tech or gaming before this. So we come with an awareness that we know how the ultimate big dogs operate and we now get to translate it down to making sure it's a, a usable individual experience. So being able to come through and say, okay, I want to be able to move money quickly. What is it that I'm going to be needing? Having ACH as an available option for free on ramps, uh, having uh, the, the KYC be streamlined, being able to maintain an easy way to download your uh, transactions so that taxes are easily done in the United States. Those are how we're kind of shifting the mindset of what it is to be an American trader that wants mm -hmm. to compete at the global level and not feel like they're being left behind. Yep. Um, but it's true. The, the sure. translation from the global tech stack of uh, margin lending, uh, futures, you name it, 
that does not translate one for one inside the United States. So well, it, is, yeah, it is almost yeah. my job and our team's job to translate it in a way that's digestible and also desirable. Uh, not all Americans want a, a certain type of uh, trading platform that you see uh, the rest of the world demanding for. So. Well, and this is, this is also the innovator's dilemma in, in financial services in the U.S. more generally, right? The, you have more compliance folks on many of these banking teams than you would um, on the tech team. So it, 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 it's kind of consistent, I think, more or less with how financial services works in the U.S. more broadly. And it speaks to a broader question of, will we be able to innovate anywhere nearly as quickly as some other areas of the world when it comes to Web3 and, and, and digital finance, right? Decentralized finance. Um, how do you think about Binance US's role in pushing the adoption curve for all of the ancillary US-based projects on behalf of the entire ecosystem? Because there are a lot of very talented teams, most of whom I believe are still hamstrung by US regulation. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, many of them, even if they're you know, here technically, uh, or, or uh, said the other way around, even if they're technically based overseas, a lot of the teams are here and they just, they basically can build here, but sell only abroad. Um, you've yeah, obviously spent a lot of times on the front lines. Yeah, what, what, what is- something what that's is super, your... super scary and unsad a little bit uh, mm -hmm. that you're seeing people um, fearful of launching in places where they could make a, a huge impact um, and having to go quote unquote, the easy way out, which is really the difficult way out and uh, launch to an audience outside of your home jurisdiction. Uh, and so that's where we're really paying a close attention to what are, what are the projects in the United States that would actually benefit a, a U.S. trading population and graduate to a global or an international use case. Uh, and therefore, you have an easy um, you know, an easy bucket of getting on, on board with Binance US first and then being able to launch on a larger global scale with Binance Global. Um, we, we're playing catch up right now, given we started with zero assets and now we're launched to over 30 plus, um, going through and, and evaluating each one of them through our, you know, templatized approach of the digital asset risk assessment framework, um, catering to be aware that these projects need to have longevity inside of the United States uh, and need to be uh, focused on developing something in such where it's it's beneficial to a U.S. trader, uh, and that's that's really where I think projects. And they often ask like, how do I get in touch? How do I get listed, etc. And I'm I consciously tell them, be so loud and large inside of the United States that I have to list you. Um, like I, I want I want to know that the demand is really here. Um, if you're building in the in the shadows and and trying to get mm -hmm. you know international adoption first, then you won't get my attention. Um, and, well, I, I, if, <laughs> and if anything, it, it, you're probably the riskiest person to ask, right? You know, so uh, it's one thing to get listed overseas, but because the hurdle is that much higher in the U.S., the asset you know needs to be so good you can't ignore it, right? To paraphrase, and, and, right, and, right, and so good you can't ignore it. But we're we're seeing great developments. I mean, Hester Pierce basically was giving the olive branch to these projects, um, hoping to get you know majority opinion on it. But uh, mm -hmm. just the idea of of giving us a grace period um, before things are able to be secure on on uh, on where they stand. Uh, I think that's a great idea. You th you think about all these projects and in that kind of realm of, is it you know decentralized, secure, and mm -hmm. scalable, those were the three, sorry about that, um, then, then, uh, then you really, you have to focus on one or two in order to get adoption, and then you can focus on three. Um, but that's, that's really where I think we're able to have an opportunity for people that are beginning to trade or demanding uh, to get a U.S. audience, and, and we're here for it. We're open and listening. So much of the conversation in that gray area has to do with governance and control, right? Both from a technical standpoint and from a, you know, network security and, and financial incentive standpoint. Um, Binance has rolled out staking services. Uh, they've, you know, pretty quickly become popular because at least at first, I know you were offering staking for uh, zero fees. Is that, have you changed it's that true. structure? No. Still, still, still the same. Still true. Um, and that has had a natural effect to accrue more assets under management, right? And, and, and uh, a greater degree of centralization, particularly for some of these proof of stake systems. If one of the primary gating items to a given project being viewed not a security or being viewed as, as decentralized and actually useful 
Um, if, if that's so important from a regulatory perspective uh, and just from a community development perspective, how do you think about the, uh, you know, Binance's role in providing governance tools or end user tools to actually cast votes and, and actively participate in these networks versus just turning Binance into a proxy of sorts. This, I think, was the, the issue with Steam from a couple of weeks ago. So it's highly relevant, maybe not as, net, uh, as relevant for Binance US, but you think about that as a precursor of things to come at the yeah. very least. I, de I definitely think it's pivoted my approach to how we're going to be able to provide that and if that is something that is demanded by our users or mm -hmm. our users purely looking for a venue to which they can um, allocate those responsibilities and therefore return get 100% of the staking rewards. Uh, and that is, that is something that we are, we're building out and in, in, in consciously deciding is this what people want on top of a platform where you can get your, you know, your pool of, of staking rewards. So we're, we're interested, you know, we're, we're, we're engaged to see is, is governance something that people want on top of an easy access for it? Um, or are they willing to not go for a pooled asset for a larger, larger return on that? Um, I, I think that we're seeing how staking is a, a changing the idea of where people are getting involved in digital assets. And you're right. Is the attraction factor, the, the rewards and the yield, or is the attraction factor that you have, uh, you know, governance and votes and, and a chance to really be a, a individual player in it. And if that's the case, then we need to build out a system that allows for that. Well, I, I certainly think it's probably mostly about yields and mostly about, you know, earning for most users, even if people will dispute that for, you know, lawyerly reasons. The, the bigger question is how do you prevent Binance from becoming the de facto owner of some of these networks if most of the liquidity is on Binance and is actually being custodied and staked on behalf of users. Um, and, you know, I'm certainly not the first person that's, that's brought this up, but at the extreme, if, if, if Binance is ubiquitous in terms of its availability, if it's the most liquid platform for some of these trading pairs, in many cases, if it's the platform on which these different teams launched, maybe through the launch pad, what are the what are the risks there, or at what point do you stop supporting uh, a certain percentage of assets? Right, it, has that come yeah. into play, or, or or how have you thought through that challenge? No, I, I see what you're saying there, and it really comes down to the fact that we don't we don't want to be your your def, you know the the largest player, and now we get the biggest seat at the table. Mm -hmm. um, we're really just a, a venue for which we can facilitate this. Uh, to take place. And so I think, you know, whether CZ and myself kind of view it in a way that we're really here as your marketplace, we're not here as your um, decision maker uh, on, on top of the governance. So we'll have to consciously break that down and see what makes sense for it and where that can be reallocated to the proper, the proper use or have a voting system on our side that, that can kind of be the electoral college uh, for how we would be voting. Um, if, if that comes down to the place. But I, I certainly stand that we're mostly the vessel to which we're allowing buyers and sellers to meet in the market. And, you know, at, the, at our core, we're a matching engine, not a, not a, a fist at the table. So, Well, uh, would you create a proxy service or is that something that you actively think needs to be removed from, some, from your responsibilities? I think that's something we have to think about. <laughs> mm -hmm. We're beginning to see more staking coins come through. We're beginning to see staking actually pick up an adoption. We're beginning to see those pools get larger. So this mm -hmm. is something we have to actively take place, especially following the, the events that you've seen. Um, that makes sense. And, and you know, some of these are uh, good problems to have. Most of them are, are good problems to have. Most problems are, are <laughs> you know, I always I reinforce with our team anytime there's frustration, that's actually learning. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, friction is teaching us how we're actually growing and, and the elements to which you see crypto uh, breaking things or, or having new new issues, it allows for not only scar tissue to strengthen that area, but um, us to really advance where we're going. And I think with staking kind of bringing up these questions and curiosities, you're going to see new government's models built out. So this kind of sits at the intersection with something that you brought up in the very beginning, which I wanted to come back to, and I'm glad we're going to have a chance to. You mentioned, you know, visual uh, auditory and experiential learners, right? Right. Like you're someone that has to roll up your sleeves, get deep into a, a, a problem to actually grapple with it and, and think about solutions. Is that part of the cultural DNA of Binance or, or is that just kind of unique to you? Is, is that something you screen for? Because things move so in 
insanely fast, uh, it appears, at all levels of, of the Binance ecosystem. Yeah, I definitely say it's, I'm not alone in, in needing to, to do that, but there's mm -hmm. something more that just comes at the core of each person that works on every project, and it's that they are consciously aware of how it's going to be used and, and well in tuned with the user itself. So we've, everyone has been a person seeking out to find a better infrastructure component and therefore able to build it within Binance. So instead of people saying, you know, well, what did the focus group say? And what did this, I'm going, I'm your end user. Like I'm on my phone all day. I want, I want this feature. I want this feature. Um, we don't have to pay a, a consulting service to tell us what the audience should really be demanding when all of us are largely the, the using population um, that we see going forward. And I, I have a big screen on mine is, can my team put themselves in other people's shoes? And is that a way that we can quickly see how it's going to be affecting a, a different type of user and then course correct if what we've built is um, burdensome? And, and so that's, that's the helpful part. The other part is, you know, we're building, building a team and CZ's built a fantastic team that is so, uh, you know, able to, to be independent and build. We're, we're consciously accountable for our own actions because we're all striving for a larger goal. So the idea of decentralization, I mean, they've got over 400 people working in 40 countries. Um, we're kind of the anomaly of having an office here in San Francisco, but we also have an office in DC. Um, that's our bit of decentralization there. Um, but we, we work in that way because right now we're just a nucleus of, you know, the core components that we need. That doesn't, stop us from being able to build and bring talent from around the, from around the U.S. So. Yeah, the, the, the decentralized uh, approach sounds good uh, when you have a global organization, but it doesn't really work if you're trying to build a U.S. regulated entity anyway. So, Well, everyone needs, no, they just, they just need enough. <laughs> well, we've been plenty decentralized before, you know, the, the around the holidays when I sent everyone home, uh, we were fully decentralized and fully operational and saw some of our largest volume days. So uh, the, the ability to uh, get work done and, and communicate in a way that's far more productive has helped us tremendously get ahead um, to where we need to be and continue to grow uh, into kind of the, the par of line that you see in the United States so far. So we've got tremendous uh, work ahead of us. We are only operable in 37 states. I hear that all the time that how can you be Binance uh, US when you only operate in still the majority of the United States, but we're working on those licenses to get operable in those states. Um, we're pushing forward to increase more of our trading pairs that are demanded by our American traders. And mm -hmm. we're continuing to make a seamless approach, whether you're a beginner, whether you're an advanced, whether you're a full-time uh, market maker or trader. Um, so those are, those are the offerings that we're providing. And, uh, you know, I'm hungry to see the next generation adopt it in ways that, we're going to be able to cater them to this journey rather than them clunkily fly, find themselves uh, kind of out of last resort going to a, an exchange. Uh, to, to that end, are there certain new features or, or new product lines you want to tease uh, that or hint that might be on the way? There's, it seems like there's something new every week, but anything and that's on the Or twice a week sometimes. Um, we uh, will continue to be uh, listing new, new, new coins. I think that's exciting. We've rolled out our um, BUSD uh, conversion from USDC. So that's really easy with also offering pairs in BUSD so you can move quickly into those assets. Uh, I think you'll be seeing a streamlined approach to how our app is going to be interacting with our users. And that's one thing that we really hope can become less of a, uh, you know, differing experience and more second nature with how you're going to be operating in the world. So I look forward to advancing the usability of our app, but also making sure it's, uh, it's just something that becomes part and parcel. I mean, I paid for Girl Scout cookies today with BUSD to, to, to someone and I was like, so much easier than walking down the street and finding dollars and paying them. Um, and so, Girl Scout cookies are the one thing that I don't think anybody is thinking about stockpiling. So good on you. I'm early. Uh, but I think I also <laughs> hired a guy that uh, he's been um, I guess, supporting the market for his daughter for a couple of years. So I, I have to yeah. I have to worry about um you know, what he's trying to do in terms of her, her supply and demand there, but yeah, uh, yeah. can't, can't, can't hate on a supportive father. <laughs> um, 
Coley, uh, we, this is one of the beauties of, of working from home. I, uh, for those that are watching this live, I am apparently about to just apparate uh, and, and <laughs> be elevated into the light is coming to you. <laughs> I see, I see that, you know, it, it's uh, wonderful to it. see you as an angelic glow right now. I um, know, I know. It's um, uh, and fascinating. We're, we're, oh. and, and just, just in time too, cause we're right up about the hour. Is there uh, any, wait, uh, any, what are the, well, what are the features? Yeah. What other features do you think we're going to be able to leverage from Masari um, for, from an exchange? Mm -hmm. We're already so grateful for the research that you guys have put out on each coin allowing for folks to really dig in and get kind of granularly understanding uh, each token. What else do you think we're going to be able to see in terms of uh, something that will be productive for the whole ecosystem together? Well, you know, I, I generally think um, that, you know, we're optimistic that we're going to be able to work with you as one of the key players in creating some enforceability around some of these mm -hmm. disclosure standards that we've been working on. As you know, we've got 75 projects now that have, uh, come proactively with very little enforcement teeth to uh, to create some of these ongoing disclosures. And, and I think what we can ultimately do um, with an exchange like Binance, not just U.S., but global, is take a lot of the pressure off of the Binance research team to update the disclosures profiles, can free them up to do other macro-level research on the one hand. Um, on the other, we can track the developments, some of the things that are happening on governance, technical updates, uh, forks, airdrops, basically the, the, the equivalent of corporate actions uh, mm -hmm. in the traditional legacy markets. Um, and then, you know, I, I think it's an open question whether any of the exchanges should or would want to be in the situation where they're serving as a proxy. Uh, mm -hmm. service if they're offering staking. So I'd say those three things, all of which kind of touch on governance and, yeah. make, you know, Masari serve as less of a Bloomberg, more of a broad ridge for people that are okay. familiar with that business yeah. and legacy yeah. realm. So and the, so the checks, and checks and balances for making sure that uh, you don't become the single point of failure, I think are important too, um, as we rely more heavily on, on your broad ridge approach. Yeah. Well, you know what, if we're, if we're community, if that part of the business is community owned and operated through a DAO and Binance and some of the other major exchanges are key players, then I think uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but that, that's certainly the future that, that we've envisioned. But the light is calling. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Coley. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in again. Until next time, this was Coley. Catherine, one more time. What is your Twitter handle? It's Crypto Coley. So Crypto at CryptoColey and at Binance America. Check out Coley, follow her, and hopefully you enjoyed this very illuminating conversation <laughs> as I fade to the light yes. uh, with Coley from uh, Binance US. Walk Thanks. with me. <laughs> Walk with me. Until next time, peace. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Unqualified Opinions go live weekdays at noon Eastern time. You can follow me in the meantime on Twitter at 2BitIdiot. If you want to continue the conversation or troll me. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.